There was a gentleman that we spoke to a few months ago. I believe it was back in November. He is a uh, New Hampshire author, uh, Manuel Marquez Sterling, author of the book Cuba, 1952 to 1959, the true story of Castro's rise to power. He's uh, checking in with us from Plymouth State University. And uh, Manuel, good afternoon and welcome back to Bulldog Live. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Brian, for having me again. Uh, It's a great pleasure to do that. And it's very timely that we have you back on the show uh, because you do have a special event coming up tomorrow. Tomorrow, 2 o'clock at Borders. There will be a little reading and signing of books. In Concord, right? right In Concord. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, This is a great book, by the way. For many people who think that they know uh, the Cuba history of uh, Batista and Fidel Castro, uh, this gentleman right here is the son of a man who also has a largely unknown uh, part in that history. Correct, uh, uh, Brian, and, and I am very pleased with the reception the book is, is having and the reaction of people uh, telling that uh, it's, it's expressed and written in a form that you can understand all the complexities of the Cuban uh, politics and that seven years period that destroyed the republic. Yes, exactly. Well, during that time period, right before Fidel Castro took power, there was an election. And this is an election that, again, me, who who, follow, who, who knows a little bit of this history, uh, really didn't even know until I had read your book. And that spells out some, a role that your father had. Uh, correct. Uh, my, my father represented the third position in Cuba, uh, there were the two uh, the two positions, Batista on one side and Castro on the other side. But my father really represented the majority of the Cuban people, uh, the silent majority of the Cuban people, who wanted a solution to the national impasse through constitutional elections. But that story has never been told until I I, I decided to write this book. Yeah, and uh, the election, there was an election and it was stolen by Batista and his army. Absolutely, Brian. And in the meantime that I uh, uh, talked uh, over your radio, your station in November, uh, more information has come out, uh, the memoirs of the Batista chief of the army, in which he declares flatly that they stole the election from my dad. Mm. Now, it's amazing how many years later... Uh, we're we're talking fifty years now. Fifty, 50 years, years later. now. It's well, uh, as a historian, we know that the truth may not come immediately, but sooner or later <laughs> does come. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, how did you come across that? Excuse me. How did you come across that information? Oh, just uh, published the memoirs uh, about a month ago. They came out. Uh, the book was almost finished, and I had to stop the uh, press and say, no, I want to include that information there, because that is like uh, a, a historical historical justification. Mm. And actually, everybody agrees now that had the elections not, be, not, not been stolen, uh, Castro would have never grabbed uh, total power in Cuba. But it's a very interesting thing, uh, Brian, and I know you know this because of your reading of the book, but maybe the listeners don't do, is that the State Department at that time, instead of supporting the electoral solution, instead of backing my father and say 
that they would not recognize a Castro revolution, they were behind the scenes uh, pulling and helping Castro to take power. Uh, yeah, and that, that suspicion has been there for quite some time because, yeah. uh, you know, look, the United States did a lot of things behind the scenes during that uh, era. And uh, this is one of the things where it's like a big, oops, that kind of blew up in our face when Castro came out and said, yeah, look at me, I'm a commie. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Brian, my father spent six years at, at that time telling not only the Cuban public opinion, but the State Department that Castro was a tremendous risk because he had associations with the Communist Party and the Communist movement. Mm. So this is six years prior to when uh, Castro took over. Uh, yes. So, so okay, because th- th- this is the other interesting thing that many in our audience may not know. They just thought that Castro all of a sudden came up out of the blue and just said, you know what, this is wrong, what I see, the corruption and the uh, mob rule of, of Batista. So yeah. here we come, freedom fighters that we are. Well, you know... Uh, it wasn't quite that simple, was it? No, it wasn't that simple. And, and us here in the United States, sometimes we always judge that anybody uh, fighting a government is a good guy. I mean, Batista was not a good guy. But Mm -hmm. uh, those people with the arms are not always the good guys. There are other people who propose peaceful uh, constitutional solutions. But we tend to see things in black and white. Well, yeah, exactly. And one of the things that I think many of our listeners may not realize, too, is even at that time, even under Batista's rule... uh, Cuba was still a very progressive uh, economy. Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought brought that up, because uh, Batista is also portrayed as a a devil with, uh, you know, horns and so on. And uh, and I say this because my family opposed Batista since day one. But Batista was a progressive. uh, Well, progressive has taken a bad connotation. Well, today it has, yes. (laughs) But he was very pro-poor people, labor, and, uh, and under his term, of, of uh, under his dictatorship, very good legislation was passed. So, Well, you had, uh, you had uh, more media outlets than any other country, well, percentage of population than almost any other country in the Western Hemisphere. Some of the lowest infant mortality rates. Uh, you, you had a burgeoning middle class. I mean, they were just up and coming. And you had a lot of the American tourism. So there was a lot of money going back and forth absolutely, there, too. Absolutely. Absolutely, Brian. I can assure you that anybody reading uh, that chapter that I see you have read from, from, you know, carefully, anybody would realize that Cuba was in the lane, on the fast lane to become a first world country. Exactly, with with a great educational system and, you know, the but standard then, of... But then Castro invented the legend of poverty and, and hunger and all of that, so anything he would do in Cuba would be accepted, because after all, he was doing it for a poor people trampled down by a horrible dictator. Exactly. Well, again, people have the opportunity to meet you, Manuel Marquez Sterling, tomorrow afternoon at Borders Bookstore for your book signing, 2 p.m., uh, in Concord, at Borders Books in Concord, and uh, I, I look forward to meeting you. I do also, uh, Brian. I like to shake your hands as well as anybody that uh, shows up. Well, you know, my mother's going to be visiting this weekend, and I'm going to bring her by, too, because she, too, is was quite fascinated by your book. So. Okay, please do. All righty. Thank you. We'll meet you tomorrow. Okay, Brian. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.